0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, last week we started a series uh, on the life of King David. And you may not be aware, but in the Bible there are 66 chapters. Dedicated to King David's life. 66 chapters. That is a lot of text given to King David. Really unparalleled in the Old Testament, second only to Christ in terms of volume of scripture about the life of an individual. And since God gave us his word so that we might know him and so that we might know what his plan, which is the best plan for our lives, is, since that is the case, we would come to the conclusion that it's important for us to look at King David's life so that we can see something of what God has for us. And over uh, three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, we're looking at a trilogy of messages that we've called the Lord of the King. They're messages that are looking at the period of time in David's life from the time that he was anointed by Samuel as a young boy that he would be king of Israel to the time he is coronated as king of Israel, which was a period of 17 years. And in that period of time, we see uh, several truths about the Lord by looking at King David's life. And so that's where we are. And we began last week by looking at that 17-year period of time and seeing that the path to promise didn't always look promising for David, but he persisted on that path in faith. Uh, And this week, we're going to look at part two of that series, uh, looking at David's friendship with Jonathan. But uh, before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Father, thank you for preserving these 66 chapters about David. Father, you have kept them for uh, thousands of years so that we could read them right now. And Father, you have placed your spirit within our hearts, so that your spirit might highlight this text that you have preserved and translated and provided for us. And so because of all of that, we have great confidence and expectation today of what you would want us to see. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, help me to see it also and help me to just be your vessel to communicate truth. And if I say something today, Father, that you would not want us to hear, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But Father, anything I share today that you would want us to hear that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, we would walk forward in faith in it, in the power of your Spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an old and familiar joke about a man who lived in a floodplain. And the man who lived in a floodplain... Uh, hears that a flood is coming, and a policeman comes to his door and says, "The, the river has overflowed its banks, and it's soon to be at your house, and you need to evacuate immediately. And the owner of that house says, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here and pray that God will save me. And so he drops to his knees, and he prays, oh Lord, save me from this coming flood. Well, a little bit of time goes by. The water has indeed crusted the banks of the river and has run onto the street to where now it's just covering the curbs, and a neighbor of this man shows up in a large four-wheel drive truck that sits nice and high with lots of clearance, and he, he drives down the street and he rolls down the window and he says to the man, hey, hop in my truck and I'll drive you to safety. And the man replies, no. I'm not going anywhere because I'm praying to God that he would save me. So he's there, and more time goes by. And, and now the waters have covered the curb. They've, they've covered the front yard. They've actually flooded his entire downstairs of his house, and he's retreated to the upstairs of his house, and he's looking out the upstairs window, and he sees a boat cruising down the, his neighborhood, and, and another neighbor in that boat, and he call, calls out to him and says, Hey, jump in the boat with us. We will take you to safety. And he says, no, I'm praying that God would save me. Well, some more time goes by, and the the house is now almost entirely submerged, and the only place that the man can go to maintain his safety is onto the roof of the house. And on the roof of the house, he's, he's waiting the storm out, and he's praying to God to save him, and a helicopter comes by. A FEMA helicopter dropping a ladder down to him and says, climb the ladder and join us in the helicopter. We'll fly to safety. And the man says, no, I'm praying that God would save me. Well, you know where this is headed. The floodwaters continue to rise. They cover the entirety of the house, and the man drowns, dies, and goes to heaven. When he gets to heaven, he finally has an audience with with Jesus, and and he says, Jesus, I, I, I was trusting you. I prayed that you would save me. And Jesus says, I sent you a policeman, a truck, a boat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? That's a terrible joke. I appreciate the kind laughter. Uh, but you know what that story does for me? You know what that, that really bad joke does for me? Is it reminds me that sometimes when God shows up, he doesn't wear a name tag that says God. Right? Sometimes when we're praying for God to intervene, he doesn't show up in a cloud by day, or a fire by night, or a stroke of lightning, or a voice from a mountainside that we don't recognize. Quite frequently, when God shows up on the scene, He shows up looking a lot like your friends, family, and others in the body of Christ. See, as many times in the Bible as God shows up in what we would consider to be supernatural ways, many times the grace of God comes through His people. And you know what? That is absolutely what happens to David in the period of time between when Goliath fell and when he receives the crown as the king of Israel. He was in some difficult times some tough days, and I'm quite convinced that if David were to ask, as he, as he wrote in his Psalms, Lord, where are you, that he wrote during this period of time in his life, if they were to ask and God were to respond, I think what God would say to David is, I was right there with you in the presence of my servant, Jonathan. See, Jonathan was a man that God used in an incredible way to minister to King David's life. And We're going to look a little more at Jonathan's life and his connection to David as we look at part two of our series that we're calling The Fellowship of the King. Now for those of you who are Lord of the Rings fans, you're saying, wait a minute, this is, hey, thanks, appreciate that. Uh, if, if For those of you who are, you're saying, wait, fellowship should be the second one, the first one it's the second one, copyright issues, what can I do? Um, so we're going to look at The Fellowship of the King today. And we're going to do that by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to begin in verse 1, and then we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. And we're going to bounce around a bit through this section of Scripture, these 66 chapters that describe David's life, but we're going to focus on those three verses. So if you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And as we look at these verses today, we're really only going to see one thing. We're going to see one thing today, and that is that true fellowship gives up our rights for others. True fellowship gives up our rights for others. This is the theme of Jonathan's relationship with David. It's, it's the centerpiece of how he blesses him and the secret of his love for David And we're going to look at it today in depth, but it's a true fellowship gives up our rights for others. And we're going to begin in 1 Samuel 18. Now, the events of 1 Samuel 18, this happens right after David slays Goliath. So David takes the rock and he hits Goliath in the head and Goliath falls and David takes Goliath's sword and he cuts off Goliath's head and he's won this mighty victory. And he's become an overnight celebrity To the point that King Saul decides that David can't return home to tend his father's sheep, but he must stay in the king's service. And and after this point, when David has become this overnight celebrity in the nation of Israel, the events of 1 Samuel 18 take place. And in 18.1, we see the beginnings of Jonathan's interest in David. This is what it says. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This passage begins their relationship by talking about how Jonathan loves David. Their souls were knit together from the very beginning. Just By way of chronology, it's interesting to note that though we don't know exactly the ages of David and Jonathan when this happens, most would estimate that there's about thirty years difference between the age of David and the age of Jonathan, about thirty years. Um, Just an indication that sometimes age is not an indication of who we might have deep connections in life with, right? But in this instance, Jonathan's soul was knit together with David. And you might wonder, why? Why is that? What did these two men have in common? Why was David so intriguing to Jonathan? And though we don't know exactly why that is, I think one of the reasons was that that David shared a similar uh, interest in trusting the Lord on the field of battle as Jonathan did. One of the few things that we know about Jonathan before this point was in found in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 to 15. We're not going to uh, look at that right now, but when you look at uh, those verses maybe later on, what you'd see is that Jonathan had an experience where he trusted God to gain victory over the Philistines by himself. Uh, the Israelite army was camped in 1 Samuel 14 and in an area, and Jonathan said, hey, those Philistines over there are mocking our God. Surely God will give them into our hands. And so Jonathan walks out with only his young armor bearer with him, and he walks into the camp of the Philistines, and he wins a a, a victory for Israel that day. Jonathan was one who trusted the Lord on the field of battle. And so when Jonathan looks out and he sees David as the only one who was willing to trust God for victory over the Philistines in the fight against Goliath, Jonathan said, now there's a guy who I really like. There's a guy who's doing what we all should be doing. There's a guy who is trusting the Lord in the face of incredible odds. There's a guy with a heart like mine. And it would have stood in stark contrast to his father Saul, who had somewhat left the reservation of trusting in the Lord and had degenerated into kind of a megalomaniac dictatorship. See, Jonathan saw in David something attractive, and he initiates a relationship with him. Their souls are knit together. He loves him. And this was a relationship that would prove to be very beneficial to David. Keep in mind, David went from a part-time harp player, part-time sheep herder, to somebody who was invited in and given control of the king's army, who was invited in and, and placed at the king's table on a regular basis after he slayed Goliath. That's a massive career change. And it would've been very beneficial for David to have somebody to help show him the ropes. Very beneficial for David to have a good friend on the inside of the king's operation who could help smooth things over with the king's servants and let them know that it was okay to be friends with David. Jonathan proved to be just such a man. Furthermore. The relationship with Jonathan was strategic on the part of how God would protect David over this 17-year period of time. You see, Saul, the king, became angry with David, as we saw last week, and tried to pin him to the wall with a spear on several occasions. Jonathan, being the king's oldest son, was close enough to the king to hear of any potential danger and to warn David before he was killed. See, the relationship that Jonathan had with David was very very beneficial to David. But, But we need to remember and know that that relationship cost Jonathan something. The relationship that Jonathan had with David was a relationship that was marked by Jonathan giving up his own rights for David. We see this when we understand that Jonathan was actually the heir to the throne of Israel. Look at what it says over in 1 Samuel chapter 20 in verse 31. Chapter 20, verse 31, Saul is angry with Jonathan because of his friendship with David. And Saul says this, he says, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, as long as David is still alive, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. As long as David's around, Jonathan, you don't stand a chance at becoming king over Israel. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan, being the oldest son of the king, King Saul, would have been the one who would have become king when when Saul died or when Saul passed on. Jonathan when he initiates this relationship with David is putting himself in a position to give up his rights to the throne to help David God's choice. I think part of the reason why he did this was he had an understanding that God was going to take the throne away from his family. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verses 13 to 14 Samuel came to King Saul. And as we saw last week, when Samuel the prophet spoke, he wasn't just giving his opinion, he was speaking on behalf of the Lord. Prophets that spoke things that did not come true were killed. And so when Samuel speaks what he's getting ready to say in 13, verse 13 and 14, he's speaking the truth. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly and you have kept You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord, if you would have kept it, then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. See Jonathan knew that God had other plans than for him to take the throne, and so Jonathan is on the lookout for the man after God's own heart, and in David, Jonathan sees it. But here's what's interesting, I think. Even though Jonathan is responding to what God has said, I think it's still fascinating that Jonathan was willing to give up his rights to help David along. You know, it doesn't happen that way in our lives very often, does it? Usually when there's two people competing for the same position, there's not one giving up the rights to facilitate the other. There's two people angry fighting for the one toy in the bin. That's not what happens with Jonathan. He's willing to stand aside his rights to give them up for David. And so what does he do? Well in verse chapter eighteen verses three and four we find out what he does. It says Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Having his soul knit to David and loving him and recognizing that David was the one who would take the throne and not himself, Jonathan gives him some stuff. It says that he gave him his robe. And, you know, the, the first time that I read this passage, I thought, wasn't that nice? He's giving him some nice clothes and some cool stuff. And it's like you might give, you know, a new person that moves onto your street or a good friend a, a gift for their birthday, something like that. The reality is this gift that Jonathan gives to David is is far more significant than just a housewarming gift to the palace. What Jonathan is giving him is a robe. In and, and, and Middle Eastern culture of this day, the heir to the throne would wear a very specific robe that would designate them as king to be. When Jonathan takes off this robe and places that robe on David, literally what he's saying, not me, but you a powerful, powerful moment is happening when Jonathan gives away his robe. And furthermore, he gives his armor and his weapons because kings in this day were people who would lead the troops out into battle. And Jonathan, when he gives him his armor, when he gives them his weapons, he's saying to him, hey, it's not gonna be me who's leading these troops into battle, it will be you. And in this way, Jonathan was giving up his rights For the rights of David. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And and the robe that he gave him, I I think it's just an interesting uh, verse, was quite symbolic of the nation passing from Saul's family's hands into David's. Listen to what Samuel said to Saul in chapter 15 and verse 27 and 28. And these verses... Samuel just announced to Saul, the kingdom will not be yours forever. It will be taken from you and given to another. Saul says, no, don't say that. And he reaches out to grab him and and pull him back that he might prophesy something different. And in the process of doing that, the events of chapter 15, 27 take place. It says, as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it. To a neighbor of yours who is better than you." What a powerfully prophetic moment took place when Jonathan took the robe, tore it away from himself, and placed it on Saul's neighbor, who slayed not his thousands, but his ten thousands, the one who was better than Saul. See, in this way, the robe became a symbol of the passing from Saul and Jonathan to David. Jonathan so knew that David would be king that he prayed over David in chapter 20 and verse 13 when he says, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. See, Jonathan set aside his own rights because he loved David. And he saw God's work in his life, and he set aside his own rights. He gave them up for the rights of another. It's a powerful picture of true fellowship. It's a powerful picture of true love. It's something that is very different from what we would expect in our culture. Old Testament scholar Joyce Baldwin says this, says, In our political world where power plays such an important role, what would be thought of a prince who voluntarily renounced his throne in favor of a friend whose character and godly faith he admired. This is Gaddafi's son giving way to another leader in the best interests of the country because he loved them. This would have been Mubarak's sons doing the same thing in Egypt in the days during their revolution just a month or so ago. This is something that we just don't see happen, but it happened on the pages of Scripture from a man who feared the Lord named Jonathan, who set aside his rights, his future, his throne for the sake of another. And you know, there's no way to read this story. There's no way to really understand what was going on with Jonathan and David and not see hints of Jesus and his relationship with us. Look at what it says in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. It says, Have this this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was found in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what we see is that Jesus, because of his love for us, because he desired his soul to be knit to us, set aside his throne, set aside his glory, and humbled himself, giving up his rights so that we might be righteous, so that we might have an opportunity to stand in the presence of God. See, Jonathan gave up his rights for David. Christ gave up his rights for us all. In that way, the story of Jonathan and David is really a story that shows us the kind of love that Christ has for us. The true fellowship, true fellowship gives up our rights for others. But, but here's the thing, and, and this is the whole entirety of our message today, is just looking at this one point, true fellowship. We might even say it this way, true love gives up our rights for others. Jonathan loved David. And, and I, I want us to just pause for a moment and consider what does it look like for us to love in this way? let me ask it this way. Who is it in your life that you love? Who do you love? Just make a quick mental list. Some of you are like, wow, I I don't have enough time. I'm very loved. I've got a long list. Who who, who comes the top of the list? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's extended family, your parents. It's some friends, children. Who is it that you love? And think this, how often do you tell those people that you love them? You know, for some of you, you might be like, wow, I tell them that all the time. Others view it's been years. But let me let me say this, how do you know if you really love them? You know, love has become a way to say, I really, really like you, right? Love is is the emotional trump card that you can play when you feel like you've exhausted all other words and ways to tell somebody that you care about them. So you drop it out there. I, I love you. It's the it's overarching thing. But, but how do you know if you really love somebody? I think biblically we could argue that we know who we love and we show who we love by our ability to give up our rights for theirs. That's what love does. That's what love is. That, that values someone else's life more than our own. That values someone else's wants, needs, and desires more than our own. And so let me ask you this. When you think about the list of people that you mentioned, you know, that you, you made just a moment ago that you love, in the last week, is there enough evidence of you giving up your own wants, needs, and desires for them? That could argue the case. Because ultimately, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I don't mean perfection. All of us are sinful. All of us have a flesh that is pulling us to want to, you know, our own wants, needs, and desires and all that kind of stuff. But, but is there a case to be made in the people's lives that you love that you are giving up your rights for theirs? And let me apply it in just a couple of categories for us. Let me apply it to husbands. You're a husband in the room today. Let me me talk to us for just a minute. As you relate to your wife, do you lay aside what you want for what she wants? Do you lay aside what you want to watch for what she wants to watch? You lay aside what you want to do with your time to what she might want to do with the time. You lay aside what you want to do with the money to what she wants to do with the money. Do you, do you ever have any part of that, or is it just everything is about me? This is the struggle that we have as, as guys, right? And I'll give you a, a little story that, that, that maybe will, will help with this a little bit. Um, you know, when I, we were first married 15 years ago, uh, we lived in Dallas, And uh, we we moved to Dallas, and we made that big Walmart trip that you make when you move into your first place, right? Everybody's made this trip at some point. Uh, It may not be Walmart, but you went to some store where you bought the stuff that you need when you first move into a place, Uh, and we make that trip. And one of the things that we purchased there, uh, some of you have heard me tell the story, was this hutch that went over the top of the, the toilet in the bathroom so that we could put stuff inside it. This apartment was very small and we didn't have any cabinet space. We needed some more so we buy this little hutch thing to go in the bathroom. We get home, and I get it out, and I'm putting it all together, and I'm tired, and I'm, I'm, I'm sweating, and it's hot, and I get it all together, and I get in the bathroom, and apparently they thought that our bathroom was only for people who are about four, five, and under, because the, the piece of furniture does not fit. It is too tall to fit in the section over the bathroom, over, over the toilet. And so I'm upset, and I'm frustrated, and I take it out, and I throw it down on the floor of our apartment, and I take it all apart, and I throw it back in the box, and I'm, I'm getting ready to head out the door to take it back to Walmart to make them pay for selling me an inferior piece of furniture. That's where I was emotionally at this point. And, and Kimberly says, hey, Mark, hang on. Don't you want to just take it over to your uncle's house and borrow a saw and just cut the leg so that it fits? A wonderful piece of advice. Um... It, but when I heard that, you know how I responded? This is, a, this is a, true. My wife actually corrected me on the quote, so you're getting the real story here now. Um, out of my mouth comes this phrase. Oh, that's right. I don't, get just, I don't just get to do what I want anymore. Guys, never do this, Okay. I was giving a color commentary on the situation. Don't do that. Just let silence rule. Let whatever demented thoughts are in your head stay there. When you open your mouth, you're removing doubt that you are the most selfish person in the world. That was me that day. I was not demonstrating that I love my wife. I was not demonstrating that we were in a partnership in life and marriage. What I was doing was I was asserting what I wanted to do. You know, I'd love to tell you that that was 15 years ago and we have not had that kind of a conflict ever again, but the truth is we have a lot of furniture in our house and I'm learning it one piece at a time. You know, even just in this last year, I've blown it in, in significant ways. Husbands, when you think about, do I love my wife? Can your wife look at the way that you relate to her? And gather enough evidence of you setting aside your rights for hers. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Jesus do? He set aside his rights to go to the cross. Are we setting aside our rights for them? Let me apply it in another area. How about as a parent? much parents in the room you really want your your children to know that you love them don't you now that's that's what you want as a parent you want your kids to grow up knowing that you love them let me ask you a question in the last week can your children make enough evidence to argue that that's the case not just have you told them that you love them but are you placing their wants needs and desires above your own i'll give you another another story you know what uh, this weekend, my son turned four, turned four years old on Friday. Uh, we had a big day. We went to the zoo. Uh, grandma and grandpa came down. Grams and Poe, that's my parents, not a breakfast cereal, came down to spend some time with them. And, and we had a, a great time Friday. And, and then Saturday, we had a party and we did all this fun stuff. And, and then last night, after this long weekend, uh, Kimberly had some plans. I had some plans. Uh, I was going to, to a party and we had a babysitter coming over. And 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 you know after all that stimulation and all that activity, you know Josh had just had enough, and he just lost it. When it was time for me to go, he never does this like this, and he just just lost it. And um, so I'm like, you know, trying to to put him down. Babysitters coming over. I'm like, it's gonna be okay. And I'm looking at my watch. I gotta go. And so I you know I leave. I get to the garage, and I, I hear this wailing yards away at the other side of the house. And I'm on my way to do what I want to do. I thought, I can't do it. I get out of the car. I go back inside, and, and I, I sit down with him, I brush his teeth, get his pajamas on, read him a story, just sit with him in bed for a few minutes, and, and, and everything was okay. I ended up being you know, 25 minutes late to where I was headed. Um, but it was an opportunity for me to show my son that I loved him, not just tell him, but to place his needs at the moment above my own. Parents, are we having the opportunity to give up our rights? Some of you are like, yeah, I do that all the time. Um, you know, I, I get to tell you that story. There are, there are countless other examples of me blowing it. But when I read this passage and I see what love looks like from Jonathan to David, when souls are knit together and love is real, I'm challenged by the fact that so often I want my way, my rights, my opinions, my whatever. But true love sets those things aside for the sake of another. Who is it that you love? Is there evidence this week? You know, as, as, we, as we close today, I, I just want to encourage you that we all are going to blow it. We do. Our love is imperfect, unlike God's. God's love for us never fails. Our love is imperfect. But God has given us His Spirit. And the reason why, if your heart is moved looking at Jonathan's life and as we looked at it this morning, if your heart is moved to love that way, know that the reason why that's so is because the Spirit of God is at work within you, prompting us to love as He loves. Our job is merely to follow the lead. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I just I thank You. I thank You that You love us Oh, how you love us. Father, thank you that your son did not hang on to eternity with a tight-fisted grip and failed to give up his rights for us. If, if you had done that, then we would be hopeless in this world. But Father, because your son loves us so, you gave up those rights and came and died in our place. And Father, we as a people here today want to be people who do that as well. We want to be people who love those around us with your kind of a love. Father, I pray that you would guide us and lead us and empower us to follow your lead this week. In Jesus' name.